All right, so Matt, last week I sat through this lecture on space, and honestly, it was all over my head. <laughs> but I did learn that Orion's belt is a big waste of space. <laughs> Man. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? I am great. Good. It uh, feels like it's been forever. I know. Since I I've know. been up here. <laughs> it it has. It, it's been a while because we, uh, uh, we are ahead. Um, I don't know. Many of y'all don't know that, but we get at least a week ahead, sometimes two weeks if we're going on vacation. That way... You guys don't have a break in episodes and we can, you know, still go do something we have to do and all that. Uh, but Matt and I decided that we were going to take an extra week to research rather than hop on a record. That way we were able to get a little more info on this topic. So it's been a little while since Matt and I have seen each other's face. Yeah, that's right. Which, you know, I it's been a while since I've seen Adam's face that I'm I'm okay with that, but no, I joke. I joke. Yeah, yeah, no, but yeah. it is. It's cut good. Me to it's the good core. to kind of be back. Yeah, yeah it said you cut me to the core with that one, man. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is. It's it's good to be back. And uh, Amanda, Amanda just uh, she sent me a joke um, right as we were coming on, and I I, I looked down at my watch and it says. You need to mention this joke tonight. And so somebody, somebody, and, and I can appreciate this, posted in the graveyard uh, a picture of a uh, of a package of Hall's cough drops and Quaker oats. Okay, and, uh, and the joke says, uh, "If you don't get it, it's because you're a rich girl and you've gone too far. Because you know it don't matter anyway." <laughs> I thought that's great. That is great. <laughs> I saw that one. <laughs> <laughs> Made me laugh. That's why you need to join the Facebook group. Uh, that's a that's a good plug for our Facebook group. If you're not absolutely in the group already, go over to Facebook, search us up, join the group. We've got around five thousand members, and I would say all but two of them are fantastic people. You know which two you are. <laughs> Um, no, right. I'm kidding. <laughs> that, and for those two, get your crap together. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we kid. So go over there, join the Facebook group. And, you know, there's stuff posted every day that's either paranormal stuff or jokes because, you know, this show is a slightly humorous show. So we like to <laughs> transfer that over into the, the Facebook group. So yeah. go over there and join it if you have not. Um Real quick, though, we would like to point y'all to podbelly.com. Go check them out. Uh, you can find other shows, and you can find information on recording your own podcast if you would like to do that. 
Um, we'd also like to thank tonight's sponsors, Every Plate and Better Help. Um, we're really glad to have the new sponsor, Better Help, as you know, uh, working with us because we really, really like what they're doing. Um, yeah, I mean we 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 know that you know, especially now, um, this is this has really been hard for everybody in the everybody, world. Everybody, yeah. And and it's caused a lot of problems, and and we know that you know some people are you know they already had more on their plate than they needed to deal with, and it, it's it's a good way to you know to help you deal with some of this stuff. Right. So yeah, we're we're really really glad to have better help on board as a sponsor. Absolutely, and and you know uh, we'll talk more about them later, but do check them out because you know. It, it's okay not to be doing okay. I don't think any of us really are. And it's a good way to talk to somebody without having to get out and deal with the, the COVID mess that's going on. So, you know, right. uh, well, but again, we'll talk about them a little bit later. Um, also go check out our website. If you have not um, go flip through the pages, there's pictures of Matt and I, and there's an, an ask us anything that you can fill out that we're going to be putting up new answers to uh, pretty soon. We were getting a few. We wanted to collect some rather than just doing one at a time. So we're going to do another batch of them pretty soon. Um, and it's got links that you can follow to different, you know, buy merch and uh, all this other stuff. Um, also go rate and review us. We usually do this all at the end, but I wanted to do it at the beginning here just as a reminder. Go rate and review us uh, if you have not. It really helps grow the graveyard, and that that's what we're about. We want to bring more people into the graveyard, get more of the like minds in here to, dis- to discuss things. So on that note, Matt, tell us, what are we discussing tonight? So tonight we are going to talk about something that it's one of, it's one of Adam's favorite things. Absolutely. And it is widely known as peanut butter the best oh <laughs> not that favorite thing never mind peanut butter <laughs> <laughs> so on that note let's talk about peanut butter absolutely now we are going to talk about what is what is widely known as britain's roswell this is the rendlesham forest incident love it been yeah, waiting I mean, to do this one. I, I I have wanted to do this one since we started the show. <laughs> and you know, this is a topic that I can remember seeing a, 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 a like a an unsolved mysteries type show years ago. Yeah, I mean, twenty plus years ago, and and just watching it, going, oh, okay, you know, oh, I'm watching one of this, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, you'd you'd see them, and it was some little thirty minute show, um, and then Adam brings it up to do as a topic, and I was like, I think I remember this. And as we got into it, I remembered it, but man, you know, really going in to research it, I mean, you know, as far as UFOs, UFO incidents go, this is one of the most compelling that I've ever researched. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And it's one of my top three, you know, this one and Travis Walton are, are some of my, my favorites. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, if you, 
if you hadn't listened to our Travis Walton episode, go back. It's that's that's our that's our two parter. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go back and catch that. Um, be, our Betty and Barney Hill episode, man. You know this case is right there with them. You're absolutely. As far as as you know, valid eyewitnesses, people that had you know a reputation at stake, mm-hmm. and and just. Almost like a, a deluge of, you know, what we call evidence of of something happening. Yep. So let's get into this, man, because I mean, this is this is going to be a it's going to be a fun ride. Oh yeah. All right. So buckle your seatbelts and let's get into it. Uh, like we always say, though, if you want to dig further uh, into it and and maybe read a little bit more about the incident, please go down to the bottom of our show notes and check out our sources. You can, you know, follow along with the quotes that we're, we're reading or go, you know, double check what we've said on there and uh, dive deeper because we wouldn't be able to cover this whole everything about it in, you know, two or three episodes. And, and we don't normally do three parters. So right, that's uh, not our style. Right, so go. Remember, we're the we're the cliff notes of this stuff. Absolutely, <laughs> paranormal cliff notes is graveyard tales. So go down there, check it out, and and you can keep researching it. So, like Matt said, the Rendlesham Forest is widely known as Britain's Roswell, and it's probably one of the best documented and most significant military encounters with a craft of unknown origin in all of the known history that we have. There's nothing right. else quite like this. Now, the incident itself spanned three days in 1980. Now, from Forest, where it happened, is this large pine forest east of Ipswich in Suffolk, England. Um, I know there's going to be people talk about how I said that, but have fun with it. That's the southern tongue getting in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, nearby... The Rendlesham Forest, there are twin NATO air bases, RAF Bentwaters and RAF Woodbridge. Now, at the time, both bases were being leased to the United States Air Force. So, we will be talking about United States Air Force, even though we're in England. And that's why they were, they were being leased to the USAF. Now, this year, actually... In December will be the 40th anniversary of this incident. So that's one of the reasons that Matt and I wanted to wait until now to do it is because this is the 40th anniversary year. So you'll probably be seeing a lot about it coming up. Now, this next bit comes from Nick Pope's telling of the UFO incident there. And Nick Pope He actually ran the British government's UFO project, and he's one of the world's leading experts on UFOs, the unexplained and conspiracy theories. So he was like head chair of Britain's UFO project for quite a few years. Now, he says in the early hours of December 26, 1980, two members of the USAF, John Burroughs and Jim Penniston, who had been sent to investigate a a suspected crashed civilian aircraft encountered an unknown craft, which had apparently landed in a small clearing in Rendlesham Forest, which lay between the twin bases. Well, he goes on to say that though these events happened 
some time before I joined the MOD, the Ministry of Defense. It was a case that was raised with me on numerous occasions during my time working on MOD's UFO project. Between He did this between 1991 and 1994 is when he uh, was working on that project. Now, he says, it was certainly the case on which I received the most inquiries from members of parliament, the media, and the public. So as to be better able to respond to such questions, I not only read all the relevant papers on the case, but launched a retrospective review of the incident. He says something akin to what the police would call a cold case review. Subsequent to this, he says, I have met most of the key witnesses to this incident and had extensive discussions with them. So he's he is a leading authority on the Rendlesham Forest case, and, and a lot of the information that we'll cover does come from Nick Pope. And, you know, whether it, it's directly from him or filtered down through him. But before we talk about the actual incident and before Matt tells us everything that happened on December 26th, we need to look into the the two main players here. So let's first talk about Jim Penniston. And this comes from his official bio on the Rendlesham Forest page. Now it says, Jim has, since the incident, co-authored a book called Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, the inside story of the world's best documented UFO incident. So if you're interested, go check out his book. Now, he is a USAF Security Forces retired. Now, he entered the Air Force in 1973 and served over 20 years active duty in the U.S. Air Force. He was assigned to the Strategic Air Command Elite Guard in Omaha, Nebraska, providing security for general officers, congressmen, foreign heads of state, and the president and members of his cabinet. And we're going through this to kind of give you his creds so you know yeah. we're not talking about some schlub here. That's right. I mean, you know, I mean, Pen- Peniston's resume is, is, is long and distinguished. One that a lot of us wish we had, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So Peniston held key assignments throughout the world, including service in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. He wrote defense, security, counterterrorism, and contingency plans for USAF and NATO. Additionally, he provided security support for Air Force One and other classified aircraft weapon systems. And if you're not from the United States and you don't know what Air Force One is, Air Force One is the president's plane, Air Force One and Air Force Two. So those are the planes that he flies on. So he provided security support for this plane for the president whenever he was flying. Um, Penniston held for the majority of his 20-year career, a U.S. top-secret BI-SI and NATO top-secret cosmic atomal security clearance. So this guy had high, high-level clearance to be privy to a lot of information that most people in the armed forces don't have. And yeah. nobody in the civilian world has. So that's right. Yeah. He knows what's going on. And again, keep this in mind when Matt's telling you about the encounter and when we go over 
what he says and all this stuff. This guy knows what's going on. He knows what's happening in the Air Force. Now, Sergeant Penniston and his team were, quote, first responders to a security investigation of a craft of unknown origin located just outside RAF Woodbridge, England. Now, James volunteered for reassignment in 1975 to RAF Alkenbury, England, where he worked flight operations. He was then reassigned in 1977 to Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana as a flight security controller for the protection and launch readiness of 20 Minutemen ICBMs. So again, he's in charge of some heavy-duty stuff. Those are yeah. those are uh, uh, nuclear warheads there. Now, in June 1980, uh, James received orders to the infamous 81st Tactical Fighter Wing at RAF Bentwaters in England, then the largest tactical fighter wing in the Air Force. While there... James worked flight operations to the incident, and then he was promoted to the position of non-commissioned officer in charge, one of security police plans and programs. James completed his tour and left RAF Bentwaters in 1984. So four years after, he worked for another four years after the incident. But that guy, like, like Matt was saying, his resume is distinguished. Yeah. I mean, this, this, I mean, the, these guys that are that are the key players in this incident, you know, like Adam said, they're, these are not schlubs. These are not, you know, regular blue-collar people. They're not me or Matt, you know. Certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> long, long from it. But, um, you know, they, they not only were in the know, you know, they were, they were experts, you know, in this area. That's, that's why they kept being promoted, kept being transferred. You know, that's because they, they, they were the guy. I mean, they, they were the ones that were making stuff happen. Yep. But because of that, they had a reputation. And I say they, Adam's going to tell us about John Burroughs, who is the, the other key player here. Um, and you'll see, you know, you know, Burroughs, just like Penniston, I mean, these guys had something to lose Absolutely. by this information becoming public. Absolutely. And like Matt was saying, John Burroughs entered the U.S. Air Force in 1979 and served 27 years, both in active and reserve duty. Now, he is currently USAF retired, um, so he has retired, but still, you know, I guess in the reserve uh, uh, from the last thing I saw, but he's getting on up there in years. So they probably won't call on him for much. Right Um, Now, John had various assignments throughout his air force career. Some of these assignments were at Luke air force base, OSAN air force base, Grissom castle air force base, and with reserve assignments at Davis Montham air force base, Williams air force base, Reese and Luke. So he got around. Now, he has been on many deployments from Italy to the Middle East. And in 2002, he actually deployed after being called back to active duty after 9-11 with his uh, explosive canine to Al-Jabbar Air Force Base. And again in 2003 to a location in the Middle East during the buildup for the invasion of Iraqi Operation Iraqi Freedom. Now, 
He also has been tasked on several occasions with his canine to provide protection for the president of the United States um, with the Secret Service. And in 1999, he deployed to San Vito, Italy with a squad for Operation Nobel, Noble Anvil. Uh, he worked the Joint Command base with the Army, which ran all of the war operations in the theater. John was in charge of day shift operations, which included 40 security forces personnel who provided security for the base and aircraft located at the Brindisi International Airport located 10 miles away. Now, the most notable assignment began in 1979, and he was assigned as a security police law enforcement patrolman at RAF Bentwaters, England. So, again, this guy had, I mean, even after the incident in Rendlesham Forest, he had a distinguished career and was in charge of some major stuff and, and protection detail for some you know, major aircraft and people. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so what happened? So what, what was it that has brought Peniston and Burroughs, uh, to the table for discussion tonight? So what had happened was, yeah, what happened was (laughs) I always know when I hear that I'm, I'm going to hear I'm going to hear some stuff. Oh, it's going to be a good story. <laughs> and I and I hear I heard it tonight. Yeah. Got and home. Got home. Someone's supposed to be studying for a spelling test. Someone's on uh watching YouTube or something. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was I already studied. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So so what happened was is is my computer program crashed and I couldn't get back in yet and I need your help. <laughs> that was two hours ago. Why are, Why did you not say something before now? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Heard it. <laughs> so, so this this right here, this is the incident that occurred, um, and and I got this because I'm I'm going to be reading a good portion of it. So you know, for the sake of giving credit where credit is due, um, this came from um, the Unsolved Mysteries wiki on Rendlesham. Rendlesham Forest, and this this is a this is a good account without getting just bogged down in a lot of the too far in, in the a weeds. Lot of the, yeah, in the minutia. Okay, so on December twenty sixth, nineteen eighty, around two a.m., Airman First Class John Burroughs was on security patrol at Woodbridge Air Base with his partner when they saw an odd bright light come from the Rendlesham Forest, which separates Woodbridge from Brentwaters, the men went back to call their superior from a nearby post, and they were still able to see the light. Almost simultaneously, another security patrol arrived and confirmed the lights. Burroughs and the second team were sent off base to investigate without their weapons, because remember, they were leaving American jurisdiction at that point. So as the men walked into the forest, they could tell that the animals were agitated. They received a radio transmission uh, that contact had been made with Heathrow Tower in London and that an object had been seen over the Woodbridge base, but then it disappeared. The men soon arrived at the object, which had a bunch of blue strobing lights, 
then moved up through the trees and into the sky. Now, they described everything feeling slower and very strange. Like, uh, I think Penniston described it as walking in water. Yeah, yeah. And and he said uh, they they felt this way until the object vanished. Now, for more than two hours, the the men were out there kind of going in and out um, with this mysterious object. You know, at times it would get closer to the horizon, and then it would come closer to them, and then it would fly away. Now, the events of that December night set in motion a chain reaction that would eventually result in, as Adam told us, the best documented sighting in American military history. Now, although the government has no comment on this incident, several witnesses agreed to, to be interviewed from what happened that night. Now, five hours after the sighting, John reported to his post commander about the strange lights, and the commander said that they should try to locate any physical evidence. When they arrived, they found impressions in the ground, burn marks on the trees, and and other oddities. John and a police officer went to the area, and he showed him the physical evidence that was there. However, the officer dismissed the ground impressions as burrowing forest animals. Now, interestingly, the circles measured an equal distance apart and made a perfect equilateral triangle. Yep, so these animals. impressions in the ground, you know, they it was obvious to Burroughs that something had landed there and made this impression because you know, you know how you look at something and you go, Well, these things are all the same distance apart. This isn't yep. just by chance. You know, this this gives the appearance that something was here. You know, it's right. like if 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 I if I left something out in the yard and even briefly and then picked it up and moved it, the impressions would you could look at it and say that was something there. Yeah. That absolutely. wasn't like, you know, four four squirrels digging you know, an equal distance apart from one another. Right. And these photos that uh, Matt is saying that they're collecting, um, we're going to post in Patreon. So if you're a Patreon member, you're going to get to see all these photos. Um, and we'll talk more about some of the other photos and stuff. Um, but the impressions that he's talking about, there will be pictures in Patreon. Probably it'll be r- right after this is posted. So maybe that weekend. Yeah. Now, early the next morning, Colonel Charles Hart arrived at Woodbridge Security Headquarters, and he was told about the UFO sightings. Now, Hart was very skeptical at first, but as he began to investigate, he was surprised at how authentic the sightings were, but yet no one could explain them. That same night, more lights were spotted and floodlights were ordered to be set up in the woods. At 9.30 p.m., Colonel Hart received word of floodlights malfunctioning and other strange occurrences. Base security was immediately dispatched to put more floodlights out. Colonel Hart had a professional photographer come with him to take pictures and try to debunk this situation. But when he arrived, several types of military equipment were malfunctioning, including the floodlights. Hart and his men went into the woods armed with a tape recorder and some other equipment. Now, Sergeant Robert Ball, one of Hart's team members, 
located a site where they believed a UFO had landed. They got an instrument to do readings on the trees when one of the men noticed a red glowing object about a few hundred meters away. It began zigzagging around the pine trees and winking at them. Then it moved away, so the men followed it. And so the best thing to think winking is this when it's like, the, the, you ever seen the like lights through trees and mm-hmm. it looks like they're blinking on and off and they're actually yep. kind of solid? That's, that's, the, that's the impression I get from that description. I thought it was like it looked at him and went, hey, fellas, hey. <laughs> Come catch me if you can. I'm yeah. the gingerbread man. Winky, winky. <laughs> but they actually found a farmhouse that appeared to be glowing as if it was on fire. As the red object moved towards the house, it broke up into five white balls and disappeared. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not something you see every day. No, no, you don't. You don't normally see craft that we know of break apart into smaller pieces and fly off. Yeah, it's like Voltron or something. Yeah. They all come together and make one red ball. Mm-hmm. They split up their five white balls. <laughs> right. And they come back together and make one red ball. It's like the Power Rangers uh, <laughs> yeah. when they yeah yeah in their suits and everything. They can. Sorry, Voltron was way cooler than the Power Rangers. And whatever you say, I played Power Rangers in fourth grade, so you hush. <laughs> I was the Green Ranger out in playground. It's essentially essentially the same thing. Yeah, you know? pretty much. <laughs> Now, the men began going towards the coast when they looked to the north and saw three objects in the sky that began moving in strange patterns. The men believed that the objects were trying to communicate or warn them. Sergeant Ball believed that it looked like a grid search. So beams of light began shooting out from the objects, and several people at the base also reported the lights. Hey, Adam, let's take a minute and talk about our sponsor for tonight's show, Every Plate. Now, Every Plate is America's best value meal kit. You can experience full plates and fuller wallets. Get meals you'll enjoy and your bank account will love delivered right to your door. Think of it this way. One meal is the same price as one cup of coffee. That's awesome. Yeah, every plate dinners are the cheaper alternative to takeout or delivery. Recipes come together in about 30 minutes, definitely faster than a trip to the grocery store and starting a meal from scratch. Every plate offers contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking on a budget. That's right. There's less time deciding what to cook, and that means more time spent enjoying good food with family. Every plate's easy to follow recipes and pre-portioned ingredients take the stress out of dinner time. And every plate will do the meal planning, the shopping, and the prepping for you, which that takes the time-consuming guesswork out of cooking. And I have to say, I, I really enjoy it. And it's actually something we can get Michael involved with because everything is so easy to prepare that you know we got the recipe there. And then he can be helping us chop vegetables or something while we cook the meat. And it comes together in like 30 minutes. He enjoys 
cooking it, and that means he enjoys the food more because he's had a hand right. in helping prepare it. And Graveyard Tales listeners can get three weeks of every plate meals for only two ninety nine per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code Graveyard3, that's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D, and the number three. Yeah, if you want a family meal to truly be a family meal, for three weeks of every plate meals for only $2.99 per meal, go to everyplate.com, enter the code Graveyard3. That's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D and the number three. Now, John Burroughs woke up while this was happening and he saw several blue transparent lights in the sky and one dived toward them, went through a truck, and then went back into the sky. At virtually the same moment, Colonel Hart and his men noticed an object in the sky that was coming toward them at a tremendous rate of speed and a beam of light came down within feet of them. Then the light disappeared, and that was the moment that Colonel Hart said he went from a skeptic to a believer. Sure. And and one of the other things that was that I had read was that it, um, you know, they noticed that there was a, one of the beams of light was over like a, a, a munitions area and everything, and that's when they kind of started to think. This is uh this is a grid search. They're looking for something. Maybe mm-hmm. one of their own sure. is is what was was mentioned in one of these interviews. Um because there there didn't seem to be, you know, any it it did not seem random. Right. You know, it, you know, if you see somebody out, you know, poking around in the woods and they're looking around and they're moving, you can tell whether they're looking for something or they're just out walking around. Mm-hmm. So that's why they made this this kind of a a determination that this looked like a search and not just, you know, a random appearance. Sure. Now the next day, Colonel Hart played the tape to his boss and he agreed with him and told him to write an incident report. His boss then sent the report and tape to a staff meeting and everyone was confused and no one knew what to do about this. Colonel Hart's memo was sent to British military authorities who pretty much did nothing. Uh, then in, in 1983, a private citizen used the Freedom of Information Act to release Hart's memo. Dad gum FOIA information I stuff. I know it. How dare you file Look, for FOIA documents? Know, I mean, you know, that guy, you know, in 83, apparently you could file a FOIA and, and actually get it. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you can try, get it now. They're it, just try it now. They're just going to wait until hopefully you forget about it or you're too old to do anything with the information. Yeah, you know, it's like I'm I'm too old to care anymore. Yeah, you know, it took 16 years to get this. Yep. I filed for that nearly two decades ago, and you just now getting it to me. What if you just? I'd like to just file for something that was absolutely useless, and just see if you got it. Just like bingo. As opposed to looking for something that you think may actually be beneficial. That would be interesting. You know, I would like. If you file for something useless and then I'll I'll file for something, you know, that could be tricky for them. And we'll see if you get yours before I get mine. Yeah. 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. <laughs> mm-hmm. how, many, how many things have we researched where somebody said, so, you know, I filed 12 times this FOIA to get the information, and they all had an excuse. I was like, yeah. you know, it just seems like, oh, well, you must not be able to get this stuff. And, and when easily. I finally got it, it was so heavily redacted that I only saw yeah. like three lines from the whole thing. It's like the the Freedom of in- Information Act is printed, and it's like information is redacted. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Freedom, Freedom of, of Black Bar yeah, Act. Act. Yep. <laughs> the freedom is is that you can request it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you have that freedom to. You can request all you want. I mean, uh, like we used to not even let you ask. We're at least letting you ask now. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, even with the memo, uh, a lot of people weren't convinced. And some believe that these quote unquote UFO sightings was really just a meteor shower. Now, a of meteor course. shower. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Last I checked, meteors sh- do not shine bright lights mm-hmm. on the ground <laughs> yeah. and, and, and move around. They, they pretty much do the same thing. Yeah, they plummet <laughs> Which, to the ground, and that's, and that's right. about it. Uh-huh. And you, you, you typically don't see them for that long. No, no, you know, split second. Hey, there's one. Yep. Hey, there's another one. <laughs> it's certainly yep. not anything you could follow. And that's one of the major things about this case is exactly how long they were out there dealing with it. You yeah. don't get many, um, many cases that go on for, you know, what people can remember for more than a few minutes. Yeah. This was hours. And what you what you've got to remember too is from two two a.m. on the twenty sixth of December, when Burroughs, you know, experienced the first sighting, we're talking about uh, essentially eighteen to twenty hours later. Mm-hmm. You know, the next night when Colonel Hart's account appears, and they're seeing not only what Burroughs saw, but even more. So right. it's not just a matter of, you know, the the time that that each person was out there and experiencing what was going on. It's that it it repeated, you know. So you know, you're 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 talking about a lot of UFO sightings. They happen over a course of a few minutes or seconds, even. Yep. I mean, this is happening over the course of of days. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that is, that's unique in of itself. I mean, we just don't have experiences like this. No. Now, I just realized, Adam, that in, in my notes, I have got heart and halt written out and mm-hmm. I've been, I have been saying, saying it both ways, but I yeah. think I've said heart more than halt. The correct is is halt h-a-l-t right right so it, it is colonel halt and i i've i'm sure i've said it wrong several times it just kind of registered so um so i'm gonna i'm gonna correct that further <laughs> um sorry about that guys this is what happens when when matt gets excited and he typos his <laughs> notes or okay so uh so colonel halt colonel halt found in january of 81 that and, and nine months later that there were more sightings in Woodbridge. And in total, 15 men claimed to have seen the unusual phenomenon at Brentwaters in Woodbridge, 
during the first incident. Now, to this day, no one has been able to really explain fully what happened in December of 1980 in Rendlesham Forest. Right. And, you know, we th- there was so there's so much more. And what Adam and I were discussing at the beginning is um, in uh, in, in it's, it's, Pen- it's Peniston's account where they actually see the craft, mm-hmm. you know, and they describe it as being conical in shape, you know, and, and traveling low to the ground. Um, you know, some, some say a, a few feet, others say as low as like 12 inches off the ground, this thing is hovering and they, they were able to approach it. Yeah. Peniston actually touched it touched it in something that he would later say was probably dumb. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, his words, not mine, uh, that he said that was probably a bad move. But what Peniston noticed on the uh, on on it was what he expected to see, he said, was USAF. Right. I mean, that's that's exactly what he, he walked up thinking – this is what I'm going to see. Um, and it's just, it's just a, you know, an aircraft that I'm not familiar with. Mm-hmm. But when he got there, he said he noticed this odd writing on the side that was, you know, what he described as almost something like runes or hieroglyphs, um, you know, hieroglyphs, yeah. you know, you know, so, so uh, some type of symbolic language. But when he touched it is what is what happened that was just absolutely amazing. Now, mm-hmm. he, he said that he felt this jolt, you know, go through his body. But it was almost like when he touched it, he, again, using his words, he downloaded data. Like yeah. he, he could see all this data being downloaded into his brain in binary code. So in a series of ones and zeros. That's just um, wild. I know? mean, that, that it's, it's, it's insane. Think about like the matrix, uh, thing where you just see the falling yeah, ones the and falling zeros. Code, yeah. Yeah. That's what I picture. And that's, that's what, uh, Peniston is saying. He experienced when he actually physically touched this craft. And, and again, what Adam and I were talking about these guys, Colonel Halt, who I apologize for been mispronouncing his name. <laughs> Halt, you know, Jim Penniston, John Burroughs. These are not men that would mistake a, a United States Air Force craft for something else. Right. I mean, right. these were the guys that would know what the Air Force had. And and even even if they didn't know about some top security, confidential, whatever, aircraft, some some experimental aircraft, they sure as hell would have known if they were flying over their base. Yeah, exactly. And with the clearance that Penniston had at the time and that would gain later, if it were very top secret, he would have figured that out, you know, because he he gained some high level clearance. He would have had the clearance to get that info. Exactly. Um, if not right at that time, eventually. Yeah. And, you know. And then he would have stopped talking about it. 
he would have said, you know, he would have, oh, I was mistaken. You yeah. know, if they didn't allow him to talk about it anymore, oh, I, I was mistaken. None of that happened. But, you know, one thing that's interesting, uh, and, and Peniston has said this multiple times in different interviews, I've, I've heard him say that, you know, when, when he went in and he was, quote unquote, debriefed about this, that, that these, these people that debriefed him, he says were not military, you know, they, they were not from any government agency that, that he was familiar with. Right. You know, he didn't know them. And but men in he black was, type. Yeah. Men in black kind of, kind of figures. And, um, he said, you know, it was pretty much laid out to him that, you know, when he gave his full statement, he said they brought it back to him and he's looking at it and he's like seven, eight pages of, of a, of a handwritten statement and they come back to him and it's like a paragraph typewritten. And he's like, what is this? And they said, this is, this is your statement about this event. And he's like, okay, but this isn't what I said. He's like, no, this is going to be mm-hmm. your statement. This is what you're going to say about this. And then if you're asked about it anymore, you're not going to say anything. Right. And, and here's the thing, you know, we, we hear something like that and we're like, what are you kidding? You know, I'm telling the world. No, Peniston was not like that at all. He was like, look, I want to do what I have to do. If this is my statement, fine. This is my statement. I want to get back to work and I want to put this behind me because he says that he knew the longer that he was involved in this, the greater jeopardy his position and job was. Absolutely. He just wanted to get back to work. Yeah. He's like, look, you know, I I want done with this. You know, I Mm -hmm. don't want my name associated with this. I don't want this coming back. I don't want any kind of, you know, any, any kind of people coming to me going, tell me about this night. Right. You know, he's like, he didn't ask to be involved in it. Right. You know, right. And, you know, of course, people like, you know, Adam and me, you know, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's amazing. You know, yeah. but it, it put a, put yourself in Peniston shoes. I mean, you know, he even says, you know, everybody that would come forward with a story like this is going to be looked at as being nuts. Yep. And in a position like Peniston was in with the security clearance he had, the last thing you want is for somebody thinking that you are mentally unstable. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That that will get you knocked back fast. Quickest way to get discharged. Yeah, the first time they think that you don't have it all together, you you can't know this stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so, no more clearance or president detail or anything like that. Exactly. You know, you can't be trusted. So, that, I mean, that that's what, you know, he was in agreement. But, you know, as he, re- you know, as he retired and, you know, this stuff is still on his mind. You know, he said, well, you know, I can talk about this now. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what he's done. And, um, you know. That's why Adam had said this, this event is unprecedented, you know, not just for a military UFO encounter, but for a UFO encounter of any type. 
Yeah. Period. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, the, for the, the, the level of the people that were involved in it, um, to the amount of time that they were able to spend to the access they had to the evidence mm-hmm. that they were able to gather to be able to touch the thing to receive information somehow from it and to, to touch it is just incredible and yeah. not to have like your your memory erased or something like that exactly exactly so so i've i've said the word evidence a few times so adam let's let's go into the the evidence that we did that does exist from the Rendlesham Forest incident. All right. So the first thing is Matt mentioned that Lieutenant Colonel Halt brought a tape recorder with him. Well, we didn't go over everything that was said. What was on the tape? Yeah, because it would take, you know, a good couple hours to go over. But we do have that tape recording. We at least have a transcript of that tape recording. And we're going to put that tape recording up on Patreon. So if you want to read the whole transcript, it's going to be there. Feel free. Um, it'll be up in a separate post from the pictures, but go check it out. Um, he he talked about, you know, seeing the craft, what it was doing, what he and his men were doing during the time. And, and he was starting and stopping the tape as you go, because I don't know if, how many of y'all remember analog tape recorders, but you could hit stop and then you hit record again and it would start right back up from where you left off and it'd be on the same tape. So some people have tried to say, well, you know, it, it it's too, it jumps around too much. And it, it's like he just sat in front of the tape recorder and, and spouted it out different portions of it. But the thing is he was, doing other stuff and he didn't leave it running the whole time he would click it on record something about what was happening hit pause or stop go do something else and then oh i got to record this too and then record that so yeah that's why there seems to be some breaks in the tape it's just starting and stopping it wasn't fabricated well yeah i mean you you know you've seen you know you've seen interviewers and um and people that are uh that are just taking notes um, for for mm-hmm. a report that they would transcribe later. I mean, that's exactly what they're going to do because it was tape. You know, they're they're trying to conserve and not have a bunch of dead air to have to sift through later. You know, so you're it's you're not digital hear those clicks, like we've got. But I mean, you know, still for him to be able to, you know, document what he's seeing and what he's you know what's going mm-hmm. on on audio, it's again also unprecedented. Yep, exactly. Um, another bit of evidence we have is the Halt Affidavit. And I don't think we talked about this yet, but in June of 2010, retired Colonel Charles Halt signed a notarized affidavit in which he again summarized what had happened. He then stated that uh, he believed the event to be extraterrestrial and it had been covered up by both the U.S. and the U.K., He says, quote, I believe the objects that I saw at close quarter were extraterrestrial in origin and that the security services of both the United States and the United Kingdom have attempted both then and now to subvert the significance of what occurred at Rendlesham Forest and RAF Bentwaters by the use of well-practiced methods of disinformation. So he's calling them out in his affidavit. And 
Halt also dismissed claims that he and his men had been confused, or he and his men had confused a UFO with a lighthouse beam. Because out there on the coast, there was a lighthouse, and people always say, oh, they, they saw a lighthouse. Yeah. And that it's ridiculous that you would think these air airmen who have been around this lighthouse the whole time they've been stationed at Bentwaters would confuse it with a UFO flying above them. And that's what I was thinking, too. I'm like, you know, they're right there. They're going to know everything around them. And... This, this lighthouse wasn't built like the other day. Right. You know, it, right. The, the lighthouse in question is the Orfordness Lighthouse. And, you know, they they knew it was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a, there was a, a Daniel Simpson, you know, he was quoted as saying uh, in an interview with the Telegraph, he was like, this lighthouse theory is rubbish. Lighthouses don't fly down into forests, <laughs> split up into five different lights, and zap off into space at Mach exactly. 3. They don't move through trees and get mistaken by up to 20 witnesses from the United States Air Force. Right. You know, Absolutely. I mean, that, I mean, that's just crazy, but that's exactly what they told them. Yeah. Yep. And Halt, when he dismissed these claims, he said, quote, while in Rendlesham Forest, our security team observed a light that looked like a large eye, red in color, moving through the trees. After a few minutes, this object began dripping something that looked like molten metal. A short while later, it broke into several smaller white-colored objects and flew away in all directions. Claims by skeptics that this was merely a sweeping beam from a distant lighthouse are unfounded. We could see the unknown light and the lighthouse simultaneously. The latter was 35 to 40 degrees off where all of this was happening. So he said, we saw both of them. We can pinpoint the lighthouses over there. Right. This other stuff's happening over here. <laughs> yeah. So we saw both of them. Thank you very much. Did somebody forget that this crap was happening at night? Yeah, right. The lighthouse would have been working, you know, yeah. so it would have been easy to distinguish one from the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, in an interview, Halt's superior officer, Colonel Ted Conrad, actually criticized Halt for the claims in his affidavit, saying, quote, he should be ashamed and embarrassed by his allegations that his country and England both conspired to deceive their citizens over the issue. He knows better. Now, Conrad also acknowledged the events remained unexplained. So, I mean, again, we, we've got somebody... Like Conrad that's saying, oh, this guy's just a, a a whack job and he should be ashamed and all this. But guys, we we know world governments cover things up. So you can't pull that anymore. You know, right. right. You, you can't now say, oh, no, the government tells you everything. <laughs> yeah. It does not. And he said himself, well, it remains unexplained. So you don't know what it is. They say they do, but you're you say they're foolish. So who's foolish now, Conrad? Mm-hmm. Now, some more evidence that we have is photos of the landing site showing a triangular pattern in the ground with three indentations, one at each point of the triangle. Um and we'll put these pictures in Patreon as well, uh, if you want to see them along with the other photos that we were talking about. 
Um, the photos only surfaced recently, though, but it appears that the Ministry of Defense already had copies of them. Colonel Halt confirmed there were photographs in his discussion between Nebraska Senator Exxon in 1985. Colonel Halt was asked if he confer- could confirm the existence of photographs, to which he replied, quote, I can verify that for the senator, I could substantiate that for him. So he's saying right there, there were pictures of it. And mm-hmm. even though they just came out, uh, the MOD has had them for a while. Um, Sergeant Monroe Nevels was with Colonel Halt and others on the 27th and 28th of December in 1980. And he operated the Geiger counter and confirms the craft of unknown origin sighting. So he was running a Geiger counter during all this. And he says, yep, we got pictures. It it was something we didn't know about. So, I mean. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, you're looking at where the indentations were. There, there were radi there was radiation right there. Yep. You know, why, why would it be right there? Yeah. Especially I mean, if it was a lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> hey, radioactive lighthouses. Mm-hmm. Next, you didn't know next they, on Graveyard Tales. Yeah, right. <laughs> you didn't know they emitted beams of irradiated material into the forest, did you? Well, uh, apparently they do in uh, Rendlesham Forest. Now, this says that Monroe Neville's confirmed the lights in these photographs as what he witnessed on those nights in December. So he, yep, that's that's what we saw. And there'll be photographs of the lights in the sky on Patreon with the falling pieces. I was able to find one that had the center point and then the other little pieces falling off of it like they described. So um, that will be up there for you to see. Now, some more evidence that we have is radar. And David Potts, he's a civilian radar operator at RAF Watton, told that in the early hours of the 27th of December, 1980, he had tracked an unknown signal over the sea. He wasn't particularly impressed because it was a common occurrence, and he put it down to a false signal. Now, next day, plain-clothed men with an American accent came asking for copies of the radar tapes. Potts thought that they belonged to the OSI, uh, says USAF's own intelligence agency or to the National Security Agency since they had the necessary security clearances. So he was quite surprised when these unusually tight-lipped men freely offered a fantastic story. The signal he had tracked was not caused by equipment malfunction, but by a metallic UFO which had been sighted near a large airbase in East Anglia. So we've got a radar operator that actually tracked it. And apparently it was so frequent that he just kind of wrote it off until these plainclothes men who, like Matt said, from debriefing Penniston were not military. They didn't seem to be military at all. They came in and requested the tapes and then told him this story that, no, it was a UFO. You know, what's funny is I, I know, I know a guy named David Potts. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, and he was in the service for a long time. I think it's the same guy? <laughs> when, when I was researching this, that's what popped into my head. And I was like... And you didn't call him? So. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nah, there's no way. 
<laughs> hey, you never know. There's no way. <laughs> Contact him after this, and if he if it was him, we'll put it as a Patreon episode. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so some other evidence is actually plaster casts. There's three identical indentations in the shape of an equilateral triangle on the forest floor. They were discovered after the initial event on the 25th and 26th. So they were found in the same area where the craft of unknown origin was sighted. So the witnesses assumed that they were, quote, landing marks left by the object. Now, Jim Penniston visited the site later um, in, later on in the morning and took three plaster casts of the landing tracks. So we got pictures of those, too, that'll be on Patreon. And, I mean, they're just circular casts of what looks like you know the foot of some tripod that was sat down and we uh, there's pictures of him actually holding one of the casts and all that kind of stuff so it it's neat that he actually thought to go out there and you know plaster cast these things yeah now we also have tree damage in the area Jenny Randalls on page 183 of her book, UFO Crash Landing, says that the tree damage at the landing site is one of the, quote, vital clues to the case. Now, in that book, she quotes a forester that she names as James Brownlee, and he says, quote, one of the team from the Little Wooden headquarters in what is known locally as Tangham Wood, um, according to her, Brownlee said, quote, I noticed that the pine trees well above the ground were broken as if something heavy had fallen through from the sky. Branches were also torn off lower down. There were signs of scorching and burning on the forest floor and a series of indentations which indicated that something solid had come down there. There was also evidence that an object may have been dragged along the ground to remove it from the area. So who drug what? <laughs> That's right. What was being drugged and who was dragging it? Yep. Was it little green men dragging something off or what? If they were looking for something, Matt, a grid fashion, they were looking for something maybe that fell off an aircraft or a downed craft. Yeah, absolutely. And they had to drag it out after they found it. So... All right, Matt, so let's take a second and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, BetterHelp. That's Better H-E-L-P. Now, is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? You know, I mean, we got a lot of, we got a lot going on right now with, uh, you know, everything that the world is going through. And, and I don't think anybody is really doing that okay anymore. And, right. you know, there's nothing wrong with reaching out and getting some help. And that's what BetterHelp is here for. And that's why we're so glad to have them as a sponsor. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Now, remember, it's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in many areas, and the service is available to clients worldwide. And, and that's the thing. If you're in a small town, then you may not have access to the therapists that are specialized in the needs that you have. And we all have our own special needs, and 
BetterHelp has the availability of counselors with the experience to help you with your specific needs. That's right, Adam. And with BetterHelp, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room like you do with traditional therapy. That's great. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And if you've ever been through counseling before, you know when you're just not vibing with mm-hmm. you know the counselor and how much trouble you go through to find someone else. Right. And with BetterHelp, it's easy and free. And it's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So, this special offer for Graveyard Tales listeners is available. You get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E. That's right. So again, you've got a special offer because you listen to Graveyard Tales. And all you got to do to get 10% off your first month is go to betterhelp.com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E. But the other thing we need to look at to kind of end this is the theories about this case because there's a ton of them and we're only going to go over a couple of them but there's a ton of theories out there if you look into it now the first one we've kind of touched on but we can talk about a little bit more is they confuse the lights with a lighthouse that's one of the best theories that people have about this case and it just drives me nuts you're going to say that United States Air Force men who have top-level clearance are going to mistake a lighthouse with something flying. Yeah. How? Right. I mean, you know, and we, you know, we we bashed that, you know, just a, a little while ago, but it it all goes back to the fact number one, if if they're if they're at an Air Force base that is close enough to a lighthouse they're going to know that the lighthouse is there. Right. You know, that's that's one thing about a, a military installment of any type. They're going to know what's around them. Mm-hmm. To avoid any kind of confusion as to a, a mistake that it's, you know, an enemy. Right. Or, or just somebody doing something that they shouldn't be doing. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we... You know, we we talked about this when, when the whole Area 51 thing was coming up that people were going to I'm like, there are signs there that, that say, you know, go away. You yeah. know, you are not allowed here. And, and, and coming in here is a crime. So, you know, people do dumb stuff. You know, they're like, well, you know, you know, these, these people on these bases are going to know. Hey, there's a lighthouse over there. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see it at night, you know, so if, if you're on patrol and you see this weird light out that way, it's just the lighthouse. So don't panic. Yep. Don't call in a report. 
we're, we're not going to go hunting for the stupid lighthouse that's right over there. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, the, the other thing is, is as I mentioned, this happened at night. And like Adam said, you're, you're going to be able to distinguish the lighthouse from what's flying around above you. I mean, lighthouses don't move. That light no, is not going to And they don't travel. leave evidence in the forest. Yeah, exactly. So it, it just it just seemed like th- this was the this was the first um, uh, attempt to just toss this out. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, it was the lighthouse. Uh, okay, you know that was that. That's, it's lame at best. Yeah, and that that's what uh, I've said before is that cynics of anything. They go so mundane with their their explanation for it that it becomes more unbelievable than an unbelievable paranormal incident. It's like, so you you expect me to believe I would rather believe that a UFO landed. That's less unbelievable than the fact that all of these Air Force men mistook a lighthouse for something. That is insane. I'm sorry, but yeah. it is. It's it's out there. I think the only way that could have happened is if you know the you know the chef that night said, Hey, I've got a special for everybody. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a pizza and it's made from mushrooms that I found in the forest. Oh really? Yeah. What kind of mushrooms? Uh, psilocy something. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they call them silly sight mushrooms, and but they're delicious. Wash it on down. Pizza. Wash it down with this peyote here. <laughs> I mean, I, look one one civilian stumbling through the forest, maybe maybe on a long shot, mistakes the lighthouse for something else going on 20 military trained you know mm-hmm. people all the all the way from you know regular security personnel to officers i don't buy it not that nope. many not that many people no me either now if you thought that was crazy i got another crazy theory for you here. all right Now, this says, according to the Daily Mail, it's been claimed that Britain's Special Air Service, the SAS, parachuted into the RAF Woodbridge complex in August of 1980 and were later captured and subjugated to intense interrogation. Quote, after their release, the troopers made no complaint at their rough treatment, but were determined to get their own back on the USAF for the beating that they received said British X-Files expert Dr. David Clark. Now, quote, in particular, their repeated characterizations as aliens sowed the seeds of a plan. They said they called us aliens, right? We'll show them what aliens really looked like. So this theory posits that this group of disgruntled soldiers used helium balloons, colored flares, and lights that were tactically remote controlled across the sky to fool U.S. and U.K. personnel. So all of this, the Rendlesham Forest incident, was a big joke 
by one branch of the military on another branch of the military. <laughs> it was a big joke. Yep. Now, okay, let's uh, okay let, let's play devil's advocate here. All right, so so it was a joke. So maybe they could have produced lights, you know, in the sky that that did something similar to what was seen. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe not exactly. Maybe it was just mis mistaken. Um, but they did something similar. They were able to move around, change some colors. All right. Maybe they were able to put something out there that left some impressions in the ground. Maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are, are they going to be able to break all these tree limbs, leave, leave burn marks on the trees? Are they going to be able to put something radioactive in the ground so that it would register on a Geiger counter? Yeah, and how would they get a hold of radioactive substance to be able to do that? That's regulated heavily. Yeah. Exactly. And and furthermore, I mean, these people were, these witnesses were talking about searchlights. So, mm-hmm. okay, you're going to use some colored flares and helium balloons. That's not going to be the same as a searchlight. No. And and they're certainly not going to be as as easily controlled to give that many witnesses the idea that whatever was in the sky was searching for something on the ground. Right. I just, I you know, this would be the most elaborate hoax that you could come up with if if you're taking into consideration all the things that the eyewitnesses describe. Mm-hmm. And if you were to do that, why would they go through the trouble of debriefing Penniston and the others and changing their story and allowing it to go on this long if it were just a practical joke we all know military guys and gals play jokes on each other all the time it's i mean that that's what happens they screw with each other but the military complex is not going to allow a joke like that to get out into civilian news and then be pushed as, oh, there was a UFO near this base. They don't know what's going on. They don't, you know, have any clue as to who this was or what this was. They're not going to do that over a joke. They were going to, they would squash that internally and say, look, no, these guys were screwing with you. Yeah. You know, leave it at that. It, it wouldn't be this whole big deal if it were internal, you know, practical jokes on each other. Yeah. And, and you can imagine. If, if this was indeed a joke, okay, um, they wouldn't have let it go on for that long because at some point they're going to have to, you know, let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. You know, they're, well, they're going to have to do their job. They'd have to do their job. Why would it go on for three days? Yeah. You know, they wouldn't do this joke for three days. Exactly. You know, wh- where would they, where would they find the number one, the time to do this, but Yep. I mean, once you've got a, a, a colonel involved, I mean, you got to begin to think, oh, man, if, you know, we we get busted for this. We're you know, screwed. We're getting, we're getting court-martialed. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, because, I mean, you think about it, if you, if you do something like this, 
what if this had prompted some kind of armed response? Exactly. I mean, you're talking about you're talking about a U.S. Air Force base that is essentially on loan inside, you know, you know, British territory. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're essentially there as guests. Right. You know, they are not. I mean, if, if you pull some prank and it causes, you know, an armed response, you know, you do, you're like, this is bad news, man. Yep. <laughs> and like they said, when they stepped out into the forest, they were now again in British territory, not U.S. territory. So exactly. You exactly. know, it so it all happened in British territory. And so, you know, think about. What what if it had caused an armed response from British military forces? Yep. You know, just look, pranks are pranks, and you know, all is fun, and I, I get it. You know, I've I've had friends that were in the service, and you know, they talked about you know some of the crap they pulled on one another, and nothing on this level. No, you know, no, not nothing that was going to get you know. It may it may get them you know put on you know restricted duty or something you know they may dock their pay yeah they're, you know they're not going to do something that's going to get them court-martialed for crying out no. loud no so that brings us to the the time in the episode where we ask you guys what do y'all think uh you've heard what matt and i think about the theories and the evidence and and what happened in rendlesham forest well, let us know what you guys think. You know, remember, we got a new uh, voicemail. You can call us up and leave us a voicemail telling us what you think about it. Yeah. Um, but we want to hear from you. Yeah. And and just know that e- even looking at even looking at our notes, you know, for the show tonight, there's still a lot of stuff that we just didn't have time. Um, exactly. You know, to, to go on. I mean, you know, just just briefly, um, you know, to to talk about some of the things that were that were found afterwards i mean that are that are way mysterious um there's one story about a guy who went out looking to install some high speed internet you know this is like um you know not it's within the, the last 10 years mm-hmm. and and digging down um they found cables that were from 1980 that would could deliver such a powerful internet connection. Uh, they were more advanced than what they had now. Hmm. Um, and, and you know that I mentioned Daniel Simpson, uh, earlier. Um, he was the, he's the director of the Rendlesham UFO incident, which is a, a, a fictionalized account of the story that was filmed on location in, in Rendlesham, in Rendlesham forest. And, you know, he, he brought in a, you know, essentially a telecom guy. And this is what this guy found, you know, why is that there? And, you know, it's, it's all of those little things. You, you follow some of these links that are, you know, if this interests you, um, and do your own research and you'll see a lot more of the stuff that Adam and I had time to talk about tonight to, you know, to make your own decision. And I mean, this just seems like something happened, something happened. And, and, and 
truthfully, you know, Adam and I discussed a lot of this before the show. We we didn't even touch on because we've got future episodes coming out where this is going to come up again. Right. Um, and and so we didn't want to spoil it, but it, it just an amazing, amazing encounter that if if it's one of those things you haven't heard of and and we've whet your appetite for it, dig a little deeper. You're going to be amazed at what you'll find. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy. But, you know, while you're digging, Adam mentioned it at the show. Go visit our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. Of course, on the website, you can listen to the show. You can find out a little bit more about Adam and myself. Uh, you can find links to order Graveyard Tales merchandise. And, hey, I've got my uh, 8-bit Graveyard Tales uh, Skull Mike logo. It's uh, it's on its way to me. So uh, Awesome. You know, get you, get you that... Uh, you know, that new hoodie with the new uh, 8-bit logo on it. It's really cool, um, mm-hmm. you know, for the winter coming up. Um, but always you can you can find a way to become a patron, and we appreciate everyone who has donated to the show. It's, it's really how Adam and I keep going and producing, you know, content that's not just full of ad after ad after ad after ad after ad. Exactly. So, you know, thank you guys for listening. Um, I think that wraps it up for Rendlesham Forest, man. I think so. Yeah. I think so. So, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. However, the os- uh, the os- Hello, Ossifer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can say my ABC's backwards. Um, so early the next morning, Colonel Charles Hart arrived, he arrived at Woodbridge. (laughs) God. Having some trouble. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather. (laughs) (laughs) That'll make it worse. Yeah, you're right.